Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of In the Zone, episode 103. I'm Giancarlo Alino, of course, joined as always by Chris Martelli, Anthony Piniello. Uh, guys, we're going to start this off in the ring because uh, Hell in a Cell took place last weekend and kind of called it The Miz is the new Mr. Money in the Bank after Tucky turned on Otis, hit him with the briefcase, pinned him one, two, three. So, uh, Piniello, I'll start with you. Uh, what do you think about uh, The Miz finally getting the briefcase back? It's been a long time coming, hasn't it? Ten years ago, I won it the first time, posted a nice picture on Instagram. It's a nice little reunion for him. But, uh, man, I just I loved Otis's time with the briefcase, honestly. It was so much fun. He had such a great build up to WrestleMania. He was rolling for the longest time. But uh, I don't know if people seriously saw him as a contender for that type of just to be at that type of position. So the Miz taking it off him. We're going to see where that goes. I absolutely love it. The Miz is money with anything that he does. I, I don't know about you. I hope he holds on to that for a while. Just milk it like most people do. So, uh, man, the Miz back in the limelight for a possible WWE title. I love it. I don't know if he should keep it long or if they should go right away with it. Because uh, I doubt he'll be champ at WrestleMania. What do you think they should do and book this to make it fresh and make you think that the Miz can uh, actually get this done? I don't know, man. I think I would hold on to it. If I was the Miz, I wouldn't rush anything. I just feel like what they got going on with like Drew and Randy and everything, like they're still kind of into it. And then I would, I would have Miz like off in the distance with someone else and then have him come in when least expected. I think, uh, if he holds it too long, it might lose the appeal for WWE to put the title on him. Not like, uh, not like when Dolph did it when he had it for like nine, ten months, and that was like some miraculous fucking thing. Because Miz is in a different position now. Like I don't think he has to hold it and milk it and show the fan. Like everyone knows who the Miz is. But I just say maybe for a few months, and then he could slide in there. Like I don't know about you. When they happen like within a week of them getting it, I'm just kind of like, oh well, that's well, that's bullshit. No, <laughs> no, we gotta wait another year for this. Yeah, like when Kane did it the same night, Bailey did it the same night. Kind of, uh, kind of held that out a little longer. Do you think John Morrison will eventually uh, oh. either turn on the Miz or help him get the title? I, I think. Um, okay, I, I don't know if he's gonna help him get the title, but I think they will eventually break, and it will be because of John Morrison. Just so everything will come full circle, just because. Um, yeah, I said before when Miz posted that picture of him winning it 10 years ago from Orton and then 10 years later, I could see Morrison doing the same thing. Like when the Miz betrayed Morrison and then 10 years later, Morrison will betray the Miz and it will be for similar reasons. But um, I think he'll help him win the title, but eventually he's going to fuck him over and try to win it off the Miz and then you could go from there. So I'm excited for that whenever the hell that happens. Oh, Chris has uh, re-entered the chat over here. Uh, Chris, what do you think about the Miz being Mr. Money in the Bank? Uh, it's only good things. Only good things for WWE. Only good things for the Miz. Only good things for Otis. At least for now, I knew when Otis won. Uh, I knew I knew he wouldn't really wouldn't really be ready for it. Uh, I love the guy, but there's just some guys that have won over the years, and you just kind of look at it, and it's like it's a nice story, but I don't. And that was the whole thing. Money in the Bank was just built storyline and like yeah we've seen it work in the past with like uh, Sandow and Rhodes and like we've seen it 
I think with Ziggler and Cena, actually me and Pinello were just talking about that last night. But like with Otis and Tucker and Mandy and Sonia and how the money in the bank was just kind of revolved around that, it fell flat because it wasn't really a main event type feud. Whereas the Miz now can kind of solidify the money in the bank. He could legitimize it. He's also had his history with Randy as he put on Instagram. That was awesome. That was hilarious. So uh, I think it's only positive stuff uh, moving forward for this. So I love it for the Miz. Yes. And okay. So Helena saw this is what I found interesting this year. I thought the Hel- I quit match with Roman and Jey Uso was going to be just an I quit with maybe the cell would be used at some point, but they had three Hell in a Cell matches by that. And uh, I don't know. Do you think that's too much for a pay-per-view? Start off with Piniello. Three? Um, off the top of my head, yeah. But, like, it felt a little different this year because all three of them were, like, so different. And the uh, Uso match was, like, it was very intense and personal. You can hear them talking, and it wasn't like a... It was like a different styled Hell in a Cell match. And like all three of them had such a different feel for it. But um, I don't know. I'd stick with two. Two long Hell in a Cell matches. Like, I don't know. Three could, uh, I guess, depends who you talk to. It could overkill it. But I was, that was fine this time around with three. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, like, I like it. I think three is... For the for the feuds that were involved in the matches, I loved it. I thought Sasha and Bailey had to be in the Hell in the Cell. We saw how great Sasha's been inside the Hell in the Cell as well. Um, Drew McIntyre, Randy Orton, that had to be inside Hell in the Cell. It was the main event. It delivered. It was unreal. And then, of course, the story between Roman and uh, and Jey Uso, I think, was just... We saw what happened at the last pay-per-view, how personal it got and how... Um, emotional it was for the Usos and for Roman even to, to, to face his family. And, you know, I think, you know, doing that battle inside Hell in the Cell definitely uh, it legitimized the feud and it helped build Jey Uso even more uh, as, a, as a, he had more credibility as a, as a single star for sure. Do you think Randy should have won his with a punt? Like, what do you think about the RKO? He just kind of, Claymore misses. He just gets up RKO. Do you think that was a little uh, anticlimactic over there? I would have liked to see the punt, just because. Um, yeah, obviously Randy go through. He goes through these transitions all the time. Last little while, kind of bringing back the legend killer type feel, and he's been bringing bringing back the punt and punting legends at the start of the year and all that, which did lead to the Drew McIntyre feud. So uh, I thought for him to cap it off. It would have been nice. It would have been an icing on the cake kind of thing if he punted him. But uh, I'll never be mad with an RKO, boys. I, I agree there. I, I think, um, you know, you talk about signature moves that kind of make the match better. The punt is definitely, it's there. I mean, like the punt, it's just, it's perfect. It's the perfect way to end a match. Maybe not a hell in the cell match. I really don't know how that would work. I mean, you could put him through the cell or you can put him through hell and he's just laying there and then you, you know, put him out of his misery. You can punt him, but I like the way it ended. I, I agree with Pinello. You can never go wrong with an RKO and it kind of came out of nowhere and he won the match and he became a 14 time WWE champion. So it's amazing. Uh, Alino last week, I called that. I thought Randy should have won at least 
I'd say now about a month or two ago because the hottest heel in the company. I love everything that Drew has done. Um, unfortunately, he's lost a bit momentum. He's still the guy on Raw, but kudos to Randy for for having such a great 2020 so far. Yeah, he's superstar of the year, I think. A lot of people say uh, they go to AEW, but uh, looking at Randy, sick fuck that he was at the beginning of the year. Uh, I like what he's been doing. Uh, looking forward, though, now you have Randy Orton and Roman as uh, the main event for Survivor Series, what they announced. Do you, could you see a title change? Probably, I think Orton would be the most likely, but do you see this match going on, or would you change it? Whisper. Um, I, if, if it goes on, I'm doing not for the title. It's just going to be champion versus champion, what they've done the last couple years. I really love what Randy's done. I love what Roman's done. They're both probably the the top guys right now in the industry. I think Roman Reigns knows that he's always had this extra gear, and it, I think he's finally now um, embracing it, and they're giving him that opportunity because we all know when you're a face in WWE, you, there's definitely limitations to what you can do, and when you're a heel, it, you you know it broadens your horizon, and it you're you're a lot more. Um, engaged, a lot more focused in your character. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing here with Roman Reigns. Yes, it was nice to see Heyman align with Roman, but I think the last like month, Heyman hasn't really done that. Because Roman as a heel has just been, he's been so invested in his character and becoming the tribal chief and becoming the guy. And I'm really happy for both guys. But like if this match were to happen, I wouldn't be upset. They're both on their A game right now. And I think they would make it work. If I had to pick a winner, I think it has to be Roman Reigns, even though Randy just beat Drew McIntyre, who's arguably been the best in WWE this year. I just got to give it to Roman Reigns here. If it happens, not for a belt, though. Are they actually thinking about putting both of those or one of them on the line? Or is it just like going to be how it usually is, the traditional champion versus champion? Oh, I think it's champion versus champion. All right. This is why, uh, yeah, Survivor Series, whenever it comes around, this is why I love it. Because, you know, it's like when uh, AJ Styles versus Brock Lesnar and you get those random matches you don't think you'd ever see. And to see where Randy and Roman are in their careers, especially Roman with this fucking heel turn becoming the tribal chief and all that. It's really a, it's a new chapter for Roman. So I would love to see him and Randy, how, you know, certain things would collide over there and their characters. Um, yeah, I would give it to Roman. But, you know, either way. They're both doing amazing. Where I can't go wrong. Looking at uh, some of the other matches they had. So they have Bobby versus Sami Zayn. Uh, I don't know if that's going to actually be the match. There's definitely going to be a title change coming up. Street Profits versus The New Day. It's a little interesting. Do you fun. think uh, these two face teams, you think that would mesh well? Or do you need a heel involved with one of them? I think this is finally where we see the New Day turn heel or maybe the Street Profits. They both need a, a change in character. I think it would be pretty funny to see the Street Profits turn heel. I don't really know what kind of direction they would go in. Uh, kind of like a 2014 New Day where they're really cocky and they're arrogant and they're hilarious, but they're heels and they get booed. Uh, either way, both of them are in great positions right now. The New Day are not losing and the Street Profits are not going to lose those belts anytime soon. Um, if they do lose the belts, uh, it's probably going to be to someone that Tucker aligns with because they're probably going to push Tucker now. Uh, he's probably going to align with maybe a Garza or someone of that nature. 
Here's the other thing that's pissed me off. Andrade has not been mentioned at all since the draft took place. He actually went undrafted. So I don't know what I actually don't know what's going on with Andrade. Uh, that's, I guess, a topic for another day. I can ramble about that all day, but I really don't know what is next for the tag division. But this this tag team match would definitely be solid. And I'll say it again because this is what I do and this is what I say. I want to see a double turn during this match. You fucking dipshit. <laughs> I don't think anyone knows what's next for the fucking tag division, but uh, I would love to see the New Day turn heel just because they've been so happy-go-lucky since like 2015, 16, whenever they were last heel around that time. But uh, even if, you know, you have the two face teams, I don't think it matters. Like the New Days, they've been one of the top tag teams for so long and the Street Profits are amazing. So like if these guys... Uh, given this is the match come Survivor Series, like no complaints here. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, I think the Street Profits might be able to pull that off. I think Montez Ford, if they got to the the heel turn there, like Chris was talking about, the double turn, I could see Montez Ford pulling it off. Got Angel Dawkins there, maybe have a little bit more of an edge with the New Day. I think Kofi, like you'd have to really change a New Day's character. Like they don't have Big E anymore, so how would they make that? with Xavier Woods and Kofi believable because they're jokes when it's just them two, but <laughs> so that'd be interesting. But what can you see with this Bobby Lashley? Uh, I guess right now the match is Bobby Lashley, Sami Zayn. How much uh, interference are we going to see in this? Uh, hopefully none. Uh, Sami Zayn has not really, he's kind of become the new Seth Rollins 2015. Uh, he, he's always, he's always had some help. Bobby Lashley as well. I think they're trying to protect him as much as they can for maybe Lesnar. I want to say that could still that's still a possibility. Um, Sami Zayn is not winning this match against Bobby Lashley. I don't see it happening unless they do what they did a couple years ago when it was, I think, Nakamura versus Styles or Nakamura versus Rusev. I don't remember who it was. Or no, it was uh, Nakamura versus Rollins uh, at Survivor oh, yeah. Series two years ago. Oh. And I think Nakamura won. And I was kind of like, oh, okay, that's that's cool, that's different. So Seth I could, won. oh, did Seth win that? Okay, so <laughs> I thought I thought Shinsuke was gonna win that, and uh, Seth won that. So maybe maybe they go with that approach. They swerve it again here. They, you think they're gonna have Lashley win, and they 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 have Sammy win. I really have no idea. I think at the end of the day, it all depends on what they have planned for Kevin Owens. As stupid as that sounds, because he's not really in this picture, but I can see them going full panic mode with the tag division on SmackDown and have Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn align to maybe have a tag team title reign in the future. That's one of those things. If they did go full panic mode, I think the three of us would be like, yeah, okay, that's fine. I, I think we're down to see Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn go for the tag titles. But uh, Bobby versus Sami, I'll probably give it to Bobby. Him and his little buddies have been fucking up retribution every week. Love everything Sami's been doing since the start of the year, really. Because the guy's just, it's like, he's, he's like a stamp coach. Every other year, he'll have some long-term injury. So he's had a long stretch now, Sammy, where he's really rolling. But, like, so is Bobby, finally. And uh, between the two, I don't think uh, Sammy's going to get one over Bobby. So I'll give it to Alino's guy. Lashley's going to take it home. Ah, the big man. The almighty. Oh, yeah. Uh, I guess I'll ask you guys, because a lot of uh, superstars are going to probably be in the mix here somewhere on this pay-per-view. Uh, some we don't even know what the plan is long term, but I'll rifle off some names. Uh, Dominic and Rey Mysterio, Daniel Bryan, 
we also have Samoa Joe, who's on commentary but hasn't wrestled in a while. Uh, what do you think we can see out of these guys in the next couple of months? Oh, Daniel, Daniel Bryan, I think, is a guy that you can maybe see feuding with Roman Reigns if they don't if they don't have anybody planned, at least for the short term, like we all know the rumor is uh, Roman Reigns versus The Rock at WrestleMania 37. I mean, I don't know if you guys have seen The Rock's IG page. He's looking ginormous now. He's looking bigger than before. Um, so that's something that's something that I've been monitoring and looking out for is, you know, how, how big is The Rock really looking nowadays? Is he looking, you know, like he wants to make a return? And if you look, it's like, holy shit, this guy's huge. So, like Ro- the rock looks like he's in the best shape of his life. Roman reigns looks like he's in the best shape of his life. So I think that's probably happening at WrestleMania, but with that little gap in between, you know, Jey Uso is probably going to align with Roman at some point, maybe in a month. I could see Daniel Bryan being that one-off pay-per-view uh, to face Roman to maybe have to really have Roman reigns garner that heel heat and have, and build up that resume and build up that title reign uh, to be very, um, in terms of Samoa Joe, I really have no idea what to to believe in with him anymore. It's either he's going to go and he's going to be, you know, a nice mid-card champ or maybe put a young talent over or he's going to be MIA and in limbo. And that's what he's been for the last year. Uh, the last meaningful feud that I can remember he had was, of course, the Wendy feud with AJ Styles. That was yeah. amazing. He was pushing to be the main event star on SmackDown. And we all thought, I remember we said he could potentially win the Chamber. He could potentially win the Rumble. He could potentially win the Money in the Bank. We've been saying this for years because we believed it. But man, for me at this point, I don't know if I believe it anymore. So with Samoa Joe, I feel like his better days are behind him. I think he's going to focus maybe more on the announce, on announcing. Maybe he can win one more mid-card title, but that's about it. And then you go to Ray and Dominic. I think they're just going to be in the Survivor Series team because WWE Creative uh, probably has nothing for them right now, M- nothing meaningful. And if they do, Ray Mysterio versus Buddy Murphy. Let's go. This will probably pick up uh, after Survivor Series, but uh, you guys know Seth Rollins thinks he's Jesus Christ, right? <laughs> so then I would love to see him run into Daniel Bryan and Daniel Bryan trying to talk to some sense into him because there was a time when Bryan turned heel and he thought he was bigger than everyone. So since Bryan's a face now, he could go to Seth and be like, look, man, I've been in your position. I've been in the exact same situation. I've been doing everything that you're doing. And then they can collide somehow because Bryan's obviously more experienced than Seth. He could try to, I don't know. I don't know if maybe humble Seth and then Seth will obviously take that the wrong way because he is a fucking Grand Slam champion. And then let's go. I want to see those two meet. Oh man! I th- I, but I feel like I would have to. I would wait for that. I would pump the brakes with that and wait till Mania for that match. That's that's yeah. huge. It's a big well, match right there. But if they're both still kind of like, because they're on the same brand now, so I don't know if they're both kind of not in limbo. Because I don't think those two will ever be in limbo. But they got to find their way to each other. I just want Brian to bring up his old storyline, try to shed some light on Seth, and then it'll just fucking blow up from there. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, the last name, he's going to be a part of Survivor Series because they pretty much said it's a 30th anniversary and celebration of the Undertaker. Uh, how do you have Undertaker a part of this event? And uh, what version of the Undertaker do you want to see? The, the way I see it here, 
is uh, you either have him come out and interrupt Randy Orton and Roman Reigns. They both he's been he's been you know connected to both of them for so long. So maybe you he doesn't like I could just see him coming out after the match and maybe either acknowledging Roman Reigns or like choke slamming him and that's kind of it. Or you could put him on Team SmackDown for the for the Survivor Series match and you could maybe build a potential Fiend versus Undertaker match if you put the Fiend in the Survivor Series match. Then that's what's going to garner probably the most interest out of that that that's going to be the storyline building up for that match is the Fiend and Undertaker possibly butting heads. We've seen it happen before. Um, I actually talked about this last week with you, Alino, how the Undertaker is kind of, or sorry, Bray Wyatt is kind of trying to, you know, he's he remembers who's beaten him and who's wronged him. And the Undertaker, he just did it to John Cena at WrestleMania, and he still has that loss that he has to avenge from the Undertaker. So I think The Fiend is going after the Undertaker at some point. I don't know if it's Survivor Series or down the line, but I'm I'm intrigued. I want to see that cinematic match between the two. And if that doesn't happen for Taker, you'll just join via Zoom call and then we'll kill it. <laughs> Two minutes. <laughs> oh, man. Imagine. I'm, like, I'm looking at uh, this tag match. I like that idea of being on Team SmackDown. You don't have to take as many bumps. Just stand on the apron, go in for two, three minutes. Uh, maybe the Fiend eliminates him. Uh, but do you want to see him come out in original Undertaker, like how he debuted? Do you want to see him come out as... Uh, normal dead man undertaker or does he come out on the motorcycle american badass i think it all again i think it depends on where he's being positioned if he's going to come out and he's going to acknowledge a superstar in roman reigns i think you have to do it as the badass biker because roman reigns is the badass heel right now so you can kind of just be like yeah you know what you beat me at wrestlemania you're doing your thing here i acknowledge you so maybe it could be like Roman Reigns beats Randy Orton and then the lights go out or you hear Undertaker's music. He comes out, congratulates him, and that's it. Um, or you have the dead man Undertaker come out, um, the same Undertaker that defeated the Fiend uh, at WrestleMania 31. And then you could kind of build off of that history there with the Undertaker as the dead man and the, now the new character in Bray and the Fiend going at it. That would be awesome. I'm going to leave that there. That's perfect. <laughs> Another scenario I was thinking of. Elias is doing a concert in the ring. Undertaker doesn't have to wrestle, so comes out in the original costume they debuted in. Maybe you have Paul Bear's uh, voice around the uh, Thunderdome over there. And then the Fiend comes out after he attacks Elias and pretty much kills him. You see the Fiend come out, attack the Undertaker. Everyone disappears, and uh, everyone goes poof. Just <laughs> think of that. That would be awesome. Um, I don't like again when you, when I think of the Fiend versus the Undertaker, I don't think of a wrestling match. I think literally exactly of what the Fiend and John Cena did at WrestleMania. Like I want to see that happen. Kind of you could dwell back on the history. You can maybe I could feel like I could see the Fiend like really screwing with the Undertaker and like. In the vignettes and in the video package in the cinematic match, I could see them keep bringing up like how he lost to Brock, and how like the next year, like it didn't really matter to him. Like the, he looked at the Fiend, like Bray Wyatt, as like kind of like an afterthought. Like, oh, I got to bounce back because I lost at WrestleMania 30, so I'm gonna just beat Bray Wyatt. But this is a different Bray Wyatt now. 
And this is where The Fiend actually beats out The Undertaker. And that is where The Undertaker should properly retire, passing the torch to The Fiend as the next, like, best character in WWE. How long have we been saying this? Properly retire. Since 27? <laughs> uh, since WrestleMania 27. 27, 28. Yeah, there. <laughs> so nine years. <laughs> little Little side note. Uh, do we have like any hope for Elias now, or is just is this just what he is? No, uh, this is what he is, I think. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I I wanted to put him in like Baron Corbin's category there, where like when when WWE really wants to push him, they'll do it, but only when they want to, and and the character is very limited. So again, if you're just gonna do concerts and then get bashed and get attacked by legends or by characters that are more important then that's your role and that's it i don't see him really winning a title at least not right now with the star power and and the the character interest in like the fiend and drew and randy and even guys like on smackdown like let's say elias were to go back you have like seth you have roman you have uh even braun Strowman really hasn't done anything i i still value him uh obviously way over elias so elias has a lot of guys he has to uh, piggyback over, and I don't see that happening. So yeah, uh, Pinello, I think this is now the norm for Elias, which is sad. But the expectations I thought were high, but I thought they were always a little too high because he wasn't that good in NXT. That's just my opinion. He was a uh, he was one of those guys where it was like when you saw him in NXT, it's like yeah, it's it's cool, everyone likes his shtick, but he's not going to really blow up until he hits the main roster. Guys that are like that charismatic, I think even if they do nothing for so long, they could pick up right where they left off. Because so I was thinking of Samoa Joe when you brought it up before. Like even like when Joe's like te- technically from our standards, like when he's doing nothing and he's kind of lost in the shuffle or however you want to say it, even when he comes out, there's just a different feel in the building. And everyone just fucking loves, I think Joe and Elias are those guys. So even if they're doing nothing for the longest time, once they decide it's time for the to pick it up again, it's going to be good. So I don't, I don't, uh, I don't write either of those guys off, but it is unfortunate the way it's going. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I don't know. Pro- when you're talking about properly retired too for Undertaker, I just think it would be nice and fitting. They put that nice uh, Legend Killer versus uh, Dead Man uh, Network special, a beautiful punt, an RKO, send them packing. I think that's fitting. Have our boy Randy do it. I don't know. Even though The Fiend seems to be that new character, a last match and a cinematic thing, even when he faced AJ, I just think it leaves uh, a little bit more closure. Uh, He deserves uh, an arena just for what he's done for the company. So even though it won't be the best of matches, I think uh, a little one-off at WrestleMania, even if there's like 2,000 people, would be a nice end to his career. What if that actually, like he, they do the match with Randy and like the wrong person wins. Oh. <laughs> oh man. Like everything's textbook, everything what you just said, and then it's yeah, and then the opposite. And then we're like, oh, I guess he's coming back next year to redemption for the fucking twelfth year in a row. <laughs> I I don't know. I don't know how that would pan out. I have no I idea. I genuinely don't know when the end is. I <laughs> I've been saying year after year, I'm like, that was perfect. Perfect. Like when he left uh when he faced Roman, left his shit in the ring, we're like, oh yeah, that, that has to be it, right? 
I mean, I mean, like, okay, it, it comes full circle with Randy Orton, but I don't know if if Undertaker wants Randy to be the guy to do it, even though Randy has been the, probably the best. And when you look at longevity since I can't maybe Shawn Michaels, like Randy and Shawn, they've been going forever. Um, so like they're like, you know, there's a lot of guys like Chris Jericho, Triple H, Randy Orton. These guys have been doing it for 20 years. So like kudos to Randy, but I don't really know if Randy really needs that win right now. Like he, he has the title now. Maybe if he didn't end up beating Drew for the title, you could like give Randy that rub. Like here, man, good job. Like you've had a great 2020 now here is where we have you go over the top here. Yes, Drew's still the champ, but you're going to be and you're basically going to retire the Undertaker at the show where he started it all 30 years ago. So I don't know if if that was supposed to be the story where it's like Randy's going to get really close to win the title and then not win and then beat the Undertaker. But man, I feel like now with Randy as the champ, I feel I feel like they're going all in with Randy versus Edge at WrestleMania for the belt. They, yes, they don't need to do that, but I feel like they really want to like they want to promote this feud to the best, best, best level that it can go, and that's for the WWE title. And um, unfortunately, the Undertaker probably is not in those plans. Um, another guy that we actually saw, you know, come back, Lars Sullivan. I don't really know what he's gonna do. Hopefully, WWE doesn't do anything stupid with him, and they do Lars versus the Undertaker or something like that. But would you guys want to maybe see? I know it's pretty crazy to say, but would you guys want to see maybe AJ and Undertaker go at it to maybe retire the Undertaker? Ah, uh, I'm gonna say no on that one, just because like it was so good the way they did it. Like no one, um, like going into that mania, no one had any idea how they were. Well, because of COVID, everyone was like all the questions, like how are they gonna do the match? It's gonna fuck up the whole thing, and then they did that cinematic experience and i just thought it was perfect he was the perfect opponent for undertaker for that um i would just leave it the way it is i would not bring it up again and try to <laughs> try to do uh top what they did the last time so I, i'll leave that in the past that's one of the takers best matches at least one of my favorites for mania i'm just gonna leave that one in the past would be interesting uh aj can do it even though it's like a lot of pressure on them, but they can pull it off. But it's just the thing of like Vince McMahon. Do you want the, your biggest guy who stayed with your company all this time to have his last match against the guy who made a name for himself in TNA? That's a, I don't think that would sit well with him. It's like the Booker T situation with him. It's like, yeah, we're not going to make you go over the rock here on your first big pay-per-view because you're a WCW guy. So I think that's why he might be a little skeptical on that. But if they do Brothers of Destruction versus AJ, he brings Abyss into the fold, that'd be fucking dope. Uh, it's not going to happen, though. But, uh, yeah, that's the only thing. And another name, actually, as we're bringing up uh, guys who are in their 50s, uh, as the calendar goes, you know, two matches a year for our buddy Bill Goldberg. Who are you matching him up? I'm matching him up with absolutely nobody because, uh, yeah, he sucks. I don't want to see him anymore, man. There's, we could talk about okay, – like there's an, except, there's an exception to every rule when we talk about nostalgia mania. You know, you got Edge. You got Randy Orton. Everyone's going to say – at least some internet fans say, well, why the fuck is that for the WWE title? They're fucking both over 45 
And then you look at Goldberg and what he has to offer. And I'm looking at that and it's like, you, you did wrong last year. You did wrong in 2017. I don't know how many more times you can go wrong. You, you basically ruined the greatest feud that was on Raw that I could remember since maybe Punk's days with Owens and Jericho. And they made that for the U.S. title at WrestleMania. And guess what? It did not deliver because the expectations were too high. And you know what? Goldberg ruined everything. Everything. I mean, like, you look at Kevin Owens' reign, he ruined that. He ruined the development of Jericho. He probably ruined the relationship that Jericho had with WWE. And that's why he got shipped to AEW. So maybe if there was no Bill Goldberg, maybe we would still have bubbly Jericho. So you know what? I'm a little salty. I don't want to see him anymore. Next WrestleMania, Bill Goldberg versus Brock Lesnar. Best of three. Lesnar's got a fucking win, and then he'll win the series two to one. What the hell is this? Ride- a gladiator movie? <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then we're gonna ride him off into the sunset, and then we'll never see Bill again. Okay, oh. good. The only thing I can see here, I want to see Big E versus Goldberg because Big E wants to have that match. Oh, uh, he talked that about being his dream because it wouldn't be a wrestling match; it'd be two meaty men slapping meat. <laughs> I just want to see how Big E can deal with having a match with Goldberg. I think that would be jokes, just the whole buildup. And uh, I think they're just keeping Goldberg on standby in case Lars Sullivan really fucks up and throws people the, just turns everyone the wrong way and this whole push doesn't work out. Our boy Bill is going to come in there, swoop in and save the day for Vince McMahon. So I think that's why he's there. I think he, those are the matches they're holding out for just in case uh, something happens with Lars they're just going to threaten him and say, you know, Bill's waiting. He'll ruin your push. So be good. If they, if they were to do Big E versus Goldberg, they they would probably have to do it similar to how Braun and, and Goldberg went this year, except you have to maybe... Goldberg's probably going to have to have a little bit of a match. He's going to not just freaking three minutes. You're probably going to have to go for like 10 because he's a guy that's trying to make a name for himself. Whereas if it was like a Lesnar or a Lashley... Maybe it can go five minutes and that's okay. But in terms of Goldberg, you really don't have a lot of wiggle room for anything. Creativity, storytelling, there's really not a lot there. So I'm really concerned if they were actually to go with the Big E route because I really don't want them to just be like, yeah, Big E, you know, this is your moment. This is your match. You're facing Goldberg, one of the best to ever lace him up. And then literally it's five minutes and it's a forgetful match. And then his push is basically derailed because of it. So I really hope that's not the case, but yeah, I can do without Goldberg forever. So that's my take. (laughs) Oh man. Uh, Anyways, buddy, take it from here to the rink. With that being said, we got to go to the rink. There are some nice RFA classes. We saw Nico Heischer actually just signed not too long ago. Um, Debrinket, I think, signed as well. But in terms of this year, the number one big fish that's still in RFA, guys, He's on the New York Islanders, Matthew Barzell. What are your guys' thoughts on this? Um, do you see any teams making a big offer sheet, kind of like what we saw with Montreal and Ajo? If so, which team is it? And how valuable is Matt Barzell in this league? Uh, for the New York Islanders, Matthew Barzell is very valuable because after that, who the fuck is their second-line center? 
just, uh, yeah, him coming into the league, like, right away, putting up fucking 85 points and then just being that consistent number one center basically for the last three years for them. And, they, you know, they've had some serious success in the playoffs when no one really expected it. One of the, all, like, elite young player. Um, I Like, I don't know why this is a thing. Like, every team should jump at this guy. I don't get, like, it's frowned upon. It's part of the fucking rules. I would do anything to get Matt Barzell on my team. So if I'm the Islanders, you know, I don't give a shit what anyone else offers. I'm matching that fucking offer. Yeah, like, there. I think it's because of COVID. It's a little tougher for teams, especially with a salary cap being frozen, I think, for another year. Uh, but Barzell, if uh, there was, like, no cap problems, I would think a team like Columbus or Florida would be the two front runners to really make a push because it's kind of hard for them to lure in a free agent. But if you can go after an RFA and give them all this money, knowing another team can't match or putting them in a position where they do have to match so you can pick up the pieces, uh, I think those would be the two teams to do it. Picture Barkov and Barzell, one and two. Ooh. Holy shit. Hubert. Yeah, and Well, another guy that Lamorello has to lock up, is Ryan Pulak, a guy that we've heavily touted for years now. Uh, I'd say the last two years, when you think of Ryan Pulak, you think of a potential top five on a fantasy hockey team. He could could probably be the fifth defenseman. He'll probably get you 40 points. He has a hell of a shot. Uh, If you're the Islanders, what are you offering him? Are you offering him around five mil, or is it a little under that? I got him in the... Oof, it's around that, like four and a half to six, maybe at the most. But like Pulak's another guy too, because they just lost Devin Taves, we were saying before. So like this, to me, he's your best defenseman. If not him, Nick Letty, but whatever, give or take. He's got a bomb from the point. The kid to 2013 draft, so he's only like 24, 25 years old. This is a big part of your future. Like yeah, what you said, like in the four, five, six range, I don't know. They probably don't want to go too high because they're going to start having cap issues soon. But uh, yeah, for losing Taves, I don't, I don't think they can lose Pulak. Uh, I have him at that $4 million mark. I just think he can offer, I think, a lot more. He still has to hit that. Like, I think he has another gear to his game. Uh, if you go back, like, 2015 uh there's a lot of hype around them still so i just want to see i think if i'm the islanders i'm giving them a two-year deal and those are going to be the proving years where if you can prove that you can be a top guy maybe in this league we'll give you that five to six million dollar range but i'm going to play it safe right now because you can't really fool around with the cap though i don't know if it's going to go down if it's going to stay the same uh so it's better if lou keeps this team in a position where they can still compete and not ruin uh, the caps for going forward into the next like three, four years. Yeah, I agree too. And the fact that they didn't really sign any important defensemen, I think that also uh, shows how loyal and committed they are to Pulak. Doesn't, I think it, I think at the end of the day, I don't even think it matters what the term is. I think it's just, they're going to find an agreement somehow. I'll say maybe seven years for five mil. I think they have to lock. I think they have to lock up a guy like Pulak, man, because like you look at their back end and they really don't have anybody that's remotely like him. I mean, Noah Dobson's on his way up, but I don't know if he can. He's not a, a great defenseman, but he's a great offensive defenseman. But 
Pulak, I think, is that more two AD that they can have. And yeah, it hurts losing Devin Taves, but they can use that money that they got rid of in the cap and uh, they can sign Ryan Pulak. So I think that's a given that Pulak's going to stay. Barzell, I think he's going to ask for 10 mil, but like you guys said, if I'm the Islanders, it doesn't matter. I'm matching the offer. Moving on, we got two guys now in Tampa Bay. Anthony Sorelli is now a Stanley Cup champion. He logged 18 minutes per game. And he was, believe it or not, fourth place in Selkie Trophy voting this year. Uh, he let he was third in the league in penalty killing time, 249 per game. And uh, he was on pace for 50 points. Guys, he's only getting paid 730000 What does this guy ask for this year? <laughs> Take that, bud. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's going to probably want, I think $3 million is a, a good number for one year. Uh they already had Tyler Johnson go on waivers. No one picked them up because why should they? Why should they help Tampa Bay? Fuck them. If you want us to help you and say, okay, fine, give us Stamkos and we'll talk after about uh, the kind of return. So I don't see anyone uh, really feeling sorry for Tampa Bay. They knew the kind of position they were in. They want to overpay for some guys thinking they're going to be 40 goal scorers like Tyler Johnson. And uh, it gave them a Stanley Cup. It also gave them a first-round exit. So you don't know where it's going to lead to next year. Uh, I'm not helping them. I'm going to let them figure that out, give them uh, cap hell for the next five years, and pick up the pieces after when their coach is on the way out, their GM's on the way out, and everybody gets old. Anthony Sorelli will get $3.35 million from the Minnesota Wild, and no one will remember his name ever again after that. <laughs> Damn. All right. Well, that that's a hot take right there. How about Sergeyev, the guy that oh. was absolutely incredible for this team? And, of course, he's already been dealt once in his career. Uh, Montreal drafted him, traded for Drouin. Cap hit is only 895000 He logs about 20 minutes a night. And he was also on pace to have the best career stat line of his career. He's a top four defenseman at 21 years old. Does this guy garner a long-term five mil, like a five and seven, or is that kind of too soon for a guy like Sergeyev? I feel like it's probably too soon, but at the same time, when you look at this guy's projection and what he's done already in the last couple of years, <clears throat> they have to be necessary because like, it's going to suck for Tampa. I don't know how they're going to manage it, but like after Victor Hedman, there's not really, I, I don't know. Like, this is the guy you got Jonathan Duran for. Like, 24 years old, like you just said. I'm, I'm like, fuck, just like Barzell. Like, I'm doing everything I can to hold on to him. But this is a, fuck, for a top 4D in your early 20s already, Stanley Cup champion. Like, yeah, he's going to be highly coveted. But, um, yeah, if I'm Tampa, I got to keep him somehow. Yeah, uh, this contract's going to probably start the negotiations. They're going to want seven and a half work your way down to maybe six and a half but i think he's looking at what's uh spurgeon and dumba making in minnesota a shitload of money long term sergachev uh logged those kind of minutes had uh the best uh, year of his career only early 20s so yeah he's gonna want that big bag so sergachev good for him my guy in fantasy uh if i'm him i'm demanding not asking because you're looking at the core there they have on defense mcdonough's getting old uh headman he's in the 30 range so 
you're demanding a nice new deal, or they can ship them off and see how that works out again. I want to see the Habs offer sheet them. How fucking funny would that be? <laughs> you know what I think is happening? And I think it's a guarantee. If you remember a year and a half ago, remember when Zach Wierenski was an RFA and he got five mil for three years, 15 mil? I think that's exactly what Sirkachev's going to get. I think he's going to get a little bridge deal here. It's going to be like a prove it. Like, yes, you're great. We know what you're supposed to become. But we're going to give you five mil for three years just in case. And after that, when Hedman's around 33, 34, maybe we'll break bank for you. But for now, we'll give you five million. You'll be our second best defenseman. And we'll see if we can win another couple cups. Do you think other than this- Sorry, real quick. Do you think there's a desperate team out there that would actually be willing to offer Sheetham? Because like defensemen like that in that situation don't really come around as often. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think Pittsburgh, when I think of a guy like Sirkachev, I think he needs to go to Pittsburgh. That would be monstrous. <laughs> but yeah, we got to go on. Um, this guy kind of, he, he terrorized us in the playoffs this year. Pierre-Luc Dubois, uh, he's also an RFA. Uh, he was on pace for his third straight 20-goal year. He led the Blue Jackets in points with 49. And he also had eight points in the first eight playoff games. What are your guys' thoughts on Pierre-Luc Dubois? There's not really a lot of cap issues in Columbus. What do you think this contract looks like? Is it going to look like a 7-7 and type thing? Yeah. Yeah, this is – a lot of guys you're bringing up, it's like it's their future. And especially for Columbus, this guy just does everything for them. He's the number one center right away. Everything you want in a player. Good Canadian kid. They got no issues. He's one of those guys, if you'll ask for it, he'll most likely get it. So, um, and you just look at the guys around him. Yeah, it doesn't look like they're going to be in trouble anytime soon. Like Jones and Wierenski are there. Other than that, the Domi's on a deal. Yeah, like seven, seven over seven is fine. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, I think he's our franchise guy. Him, uh, Wierenski, Seth Jones, that's the core in Columbus. And I think Dubois is a John Tortorella type player. We saw Torch just push his buttons when the Leafs were playing them. And even Tampa, just what he was able to get out of Dubois, he knows how to push his buttons and get that right performance out of him. Uh, Dubois is still only getting better. Uh, I think he's going to be a really good option in Columbus to score and kill penalties at the same time. So you add Domi into the mix there, I think uh, it's looking good for Columbus. I agree there. Uh, moving on, uh, we'll talk about a couple more. This guy is a big. This guy's a big time player because we really have no idea what he could even become. And that's Mackenzie Blackwood, uh, New Jersey, the goaltender. He's an RFA. Um, you know, there were times where he was the starting goalie and then he wasn't the starting goalie. But now with Corey Schneider officially being bought out. If you're if you're the Devils, are you going all in signing Blackwood, or are you kind of going with like a two year, two million dollar contract? What's all out for Blackwood? Like kind of like what Matt Murray got in Ottawa. Yeah, like like you you take a gamble. He's he's 23 years old now. You take the gamble. You sign him maybe four years at like four million. If you really want, like a Koskinen type deal in Edmonton. Like you kind of. You know he's there, and you can kind of have him as your starter for like the next three years. 
that's what I get. That, I guess that's what I mean by all in for now for Blackwood. Yeah, it's a deal like that would be fine for me. I mean, like when you look at the Devils, they're not in any rush to like, no one knows if they're going to make the playoffs or not. There's a lot of pieces there for the future. So to have, um, there's still like, it's, it's unproven. There's obviously flashes there, but like if he's in the net for a few years and you can solidify that spot with a lot of these young guys around him, I, I think that's fine. I'd look at a, I don't know the exact number, but whatever Matt Murray got in that in that range. Yeah, I do the same thing. I'm looking at him, and you need to really like solidify that spot in net. You need to have a, a guy you can rely on in the future. Like Crawford's old now; he's, a, I think, a short-term pickup for them. So uh, learn from Crawford, who won some cups in his time with Chicago, and. I think uh, it would be a good plan. You have a guy like that long-term. Your future looks a little bit more clear, so I'd go in that direction. Yeah, again, uh, with Corey Crawford signing there, I I know he'll probably be the starter next season, but I feel like it's just for one year, and then he'll become more of a mentor. And we've seen goalies in the past, guys like Hellebuck, Vasilevsky. Those two guys have now won Vesna trophies, and they – at the age that Blackwood was at, they both got bridge deals. So I wouldn't be surprised to see, again, like I said, maybe two years at four mil. So like what Merzlikens just got, like a two-year, $8 million contract for Blackwood. But again, if you have Corey Crawford there, I'm probably trying to sign uh, Blackwood to a longer term than two years, if that's just me. But again, I think the market too for Blackwood is almost non-existent because there have been so many free agent goalies this year. So if I'm the Devils regardless, I'm not worried. I think Blackwood's going to be the franchise starter for the Devils for sure. Yes, sir. But now, (laughs) Jake DeBrusque needs a contract. And the Bruins have really not done any moves. They lost Tory Krug. Um, If Mike Hoffman signs with the Bruins, does that basically mean that DeBrusque is gone? Well, is that a rumor? That was a rumor. Yep. <laughs> I cannot see Hoffman on that team with his style. But if that were the case, fuck probably. Because Hoffman is a five, six million dollar player. Gets 25 to 35 goals a year, depending on how he's feeling. Yeah, probably. Just like when, um, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that. But yeah, for sure. Uh, but if, if I'm Boston, like Jake DeBrus, like that's, that's a guy you need to keep. That's a guy that embodies like everything Boston's about, the way that he plays and he, he comes to he may not score all the time, but he, he comes to play every single game. So from the Boston Bruins, I don't know if I'm breaking bank for that guy from trade him or whatever, but yeah, maybe try to hold on to him. I'll take him over Hoffman hundred percent. That's that's a fact. Yeah, I don't know what they're thinking over there. They uh, already have Krug slip away, uh, pissed off Rask. Uh, Chara is still not even signed. Uh, maybe the Leafs pick him up. Uh, yeah, they're, uh, it's not looking too good in Boston right now. I feel like with Boston too, they still haven't signed a Brust because they're trying to just poke around the UFA market. They're trying to see if there's anybody that would potentially come because we know Marshawn and Pasternak are now going to be out until maybe, the, I think they'll be out maybe the first month of the season. So I feel like this is where they're kind of going to panic and, if they sign a Hoffman or a Granlund, or maybe they can go and I see like if Jake DeBrusque walks away, then that officially confirms that that is one of the biggest draft blunders in, in NHL history in recent memory with the with the Bruins. Wow. 
Wow, in 2015. That was absolutely terrible. The one, the one guy that actually pans out, you're not going to actually sign him. I don't know what they're thinking here. I think this is an easy, easy layup. I'd give DeBrusque around $4 million for like three, four years. Easily get it done quickly. He's a guy that's reliable. Like Pinello said, he plays on a nightly basis. He could probably get you around 20 goals and like 50 points. So there's no harm, no foul here. And I don't know why he's still not signed, but I have seen that Edmonton and Buffalo are teams interested in Jake DeBrusque. But uh, for Chara, I think they have to re-sign him. I don't know what, like, like, fuck. Like, they got Matt Greslick on their top line. Is he really, he's a good player, but, like, is he ready to take that step to play with McAvoy on the top pair? See, like, I feel like if they were to let Chara walk, they're only doing that because they have so much faith in Brandon Carlo to become the next Chara and that ultimate shutdown defenseman. So I don't know. I think it just depends on how they look at Carlo. Yeah, this is um, not a gap. What the hell am I? It's like it's turning of the page. You got Carlo, Greslick, McAvoy another year, and then Jeremy Lazon in their top four. So a big dip in experience after losing Krug and potentially Chara. So obviously that fucking top line's there and great team as always. But uh, I, I'm just a little iffy on the defense. Yeah, just uh, sorry, cut out a little bit there. Shit. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was looking at their roster and like just Chara and Krug, I think at least one of them you should keep. Like Vignello was talking about Chara. Even though he's older, like just having him in the dressing room, just having them stabilize the defense, without him, you're relying too much, I think, on Carlo and McAvoy. And I don't think they're ready for that yet. Uh, it's going to be tough, though. I, I think Boston's going to be looking at a year where they could be on one of those bubble teams just on the borderline of a playoff spot, similar to what Philly was this year. So I think they're on the downward uh, for a little bit until they can find some stability in net and on defense. I like, like that. The, uh, I like that a lot. You like the Craig Smith signing by them? Uh, yeah, I do, but I don't really know what his ceiling is with the team. I mean, you have guys like Heinen who've been dealt because they had like one good year there. So I like again, like if you look at their bottom six forwards, the the offensive potential is very very low. Like you have Nick Ritchie who. Never really panned out to be that, you know, power forward that can score and generate. Uh, I, I don't know if Craig Smith's going to be in the top six. Like, it's be- yeah. for me, it's be- it's between, yeah, like, if Cre- if they want to put Krejci on, like, the third line and rest him as much as they can for so he can steadily keep the production, maybe I'd put Smith on the second line for some games. But, yeah, he's not a top six forward anymore. I like it for depth, but other than that, it's 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 whatever for me. Not a big deal. See, like I kind of dig it because he does most of his damage five on five, and uh, <laughs> when you look at their power play, he's not going to sniff that. And the mm-hmm. second unit doesn't get on anyways. If the first one gets like fucking ninety ninety five seconds, so um, even if he's on your third line like all year and the numbers are going to take a dip, whatever. Like this is a consistent guy. It's the only thing. I brought it up because it's the only thing that uh, I like that Boston did. So um, I like the signing for them, yeah. What are you guys' thoughts on uh, – I'll talk one more guy, and then we'll go to Hoop. 
Anthony Manta is also an RFA. We've seen over the last two years, he's actually been a very, very key contributor for this organization. We know the position that the that the Red Wings are in. They're definitely in a rebuild, but, you know, they have some promising pieces. Zadina, you know, they got Chalowski on the back end. Um, they got Manta, Larkin. They got some good names there. What do you expect Manta to get? Are you signing him long-term, or is this more of the wait-and-see bridge deal yet again? I'll go one more bridge with Manta. I just want to see him because uh, he's getting hurt quite often, and <laughs> and he'll go through like long stretches where he doesn't score at all. But like he's obviously a fucking real talented player. He'll get you twenty-five to thirty every year. He's still in his early mid twenties. Like I'm not breaking bank for him. I probably go like go high money short term for now. But um, if I'm that team with what they got, that's yeah, it's another one of those guys. They should do whatever they can to hold on to him. Vince Dunn's also an RFA. Holy crap, man! This is not good. What the hell He's does Vince? Up. Yeah, what does he get? Because I think he was having a fucking year. He put up, what, like high 30s in points? And he was playing top four most of the year. So uh, I guess Krug's obviously going to take that top offensive spot. But, like, man, maybe in, like, the Pulak range where we were saying, like, four or five mil, maybe shorter term. But, like, that's another guy, too. Like, uh, down the road, he's going to be a huge part of their team. So, I'd like, one more bridge for him, and then he'll fucking cash out big time. Yeah, I think it, it all depends on how they value him uh, now with Krug there. Like, I don't want them to just, like, go all in with Krug and that's it. Like, just forget about Dunn because that we've seen that happen in the past. Um, I really have no idea what to expect with with uh, Krug. Like, we all know what he's done in Boston, but this is a whole different game. You have Vince Dunn now. You have Justin Falk who will probably take away some stuff. And you also have Pareko who can randomly put up 40 points too so i don't know how how much playing time dunn is gonna get i love vince dunn i think he's one of the best i don't know if he's gonna get the seven years or anything like that but i could see i could see like a warensky type extension as well like five year five mil for three years and then you could see what what happens after that because what is he what is uh what's crew getting is it is it seven or six point something Ooh, you know what? I don't remember. I think it's seven, <laughs> <laughs> or just under that. I know it's a lot of money. Uh, yeah, that's a tough one though. Vince Dunn, he's good, but when you just brought Krug in, like you might look at him being someone you can trade at that point. I would love to. If I were them, I'd try to get him on like a Sam Gerrard type deal. If they can go like six years, maybe, but like whatever he's make three and a half, four. I don't know if he'd be down for that, but uh, for the if they could swing that, that would be fucking dope. Wow. Well, that's all good stuff, boys. We're gonna now go quickly to hoop, and then we're gonna end it for today. So there's a lot of questions within the NBA, and we all know how many moves there are, especially in the NBA. NHL, not as much, um, but the NBA, it's kind of more like a movie. You know, team, like any like NBA move teams like nothing nowadays. But I'm going to start off with this. The Kings and the Bulls, they have new GMs. So what the hell is next? Does Buddy Heald and Zach Levine, do they leave? Do they stay? What happens with Bogdan Bogdanovich? 
I'll start off with you, Pinello. What happens with the Kings and the Bulls? Do they keep their stars or do they completely rebuild? Oh, shit. Well, if they lose Buddy Heald, I don't think you have much of a choice because it's him and Fox. And then, like, every other guy will pitch in every few games. So, I they, like, they have to keep building through their backcourt. Uh, I'm not maxing out Buddy Heald for sure, but, like, <laughs> you got to keep building around them. They're already, like, a 12, 13 seed in the West. I don't see the point of just trading him and being like, okay, let's start over again. Uh, that's like isn't Sacramento though like in a rebuild already like aren't they in the middle of one it's like it'll set them back <laughs> on top of already being set back it doesn't make a whole lot of I don't know yeah at that point I would just trade because you traded DeMarcus Cousins for Buddy Heald and that whole package I would maybe if you're going to trade Buddy Heald at least get a draft pick in this upcoming draft somewhere maybe if you can trade for the Knicks pick uh, that might be a good start. Uh, get another free agent come in there. So you have at least Fox, whoever you draft at eight, and you can build around guys similar in age. Like Buddy Heald's a little bit older now, where he's going to look to look at a team that would benefit his prime years. So yeah, that's why I wouldn't go crazy and trade Fox and Heald and completely start all over again with the new GM. But time sticking with them, like they got the shit together. Like it's obviously not a hot spot over there but if you put like a fucking all-star in between those two guys like they're they rock it right up the standings i don't know who would want to go to sacramento but like you get a main piece and then on fox and healed on the outside like that's some fun stuff right there but for zach levine like what's his deal first of all well he's he's eligible to become a free agent next year so he's i think he's in the same spot that a guy like uh, Oladipo and a Beal are in where it's like they're disgruntled. They're not going to say they're disgruntled, but they kind of are and they're tired of it and they want to win. So I feel like this is again, um, Levine can get dealt as soon as tomorrow and I wouldn't be surprised, but I still think he's a main focus for the Bulls now, especially with them uh, firing Jim Boylan because the relationship there was absolutely horrific. And now they got one of the best coaches of the years, in my opinion, in Billy Donovan. So I think if I'm Zach Levine, this is a fresh start. I wouldn't really necessarily ask for a trade, not this year, but maybe next year when he's a free agent. But here's the question for me, what you guys talked about, Kings. You, so you said they need a star with Heald and Fox. What do you guys think Marvin Bagley is going to become? Because he was supposed to be that star. Do you guys see him being a star anymore? Or is that kind of the injuries have already kind of piled up on him? Well, I don't know if he'll be uh, what everyone projected him to be coming out of the fucking draft, going second behind all those guys, but uh, or in front of those guys. But I think it's one of those things, like, if he doesn't take a big step within the next two or three years, they may move on from him. But he's not one of the guys I look at and, like, that's that's a problem. That's why we're not really progressing. Bagley, it's, I'm still waiting and seeing. I don't really – I don't look at him and – think I should trade him or package him for something, but um, yeah, he should be that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's just that injuries taken away from the expectations with him. I think uh, right now he's still capable of being that. He still has some time, but right now you're looking at maybe the third or fourth option on the team instead of being the one or two. So 
It just all comes down to staying healthy. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we're going to talk another, a bit now about another bubble team, the Cavs. Something's got to go right here, right? Like Kevin Love, $90 million the next three years. Is he staying in Cleveland? And how about Andre Drummond? He has to be stupid to not pick up his player option of $29 million. <laughs> So if you're, if you're the Cavs and you're trying to rebuild and you're trying to set up a brighter future for Garland and Sexton, who is the first guy to go? Is it Drummond or is it Kevin Love? You want to take that? <laughs> I think they tried to get rid of Kevin Love, but just nobody wanted him. Uh, I think with Drummond now, it at least helps him where you can have Kevin Love and Drummond run all the plays, uh, maybe look a lot better, get their stats up a little bit, and then move them both. But uh, I think this is like a last resort for them. I think that's why they got Drummond. Just uh, I know they don't think they're going to win anything, but at least having Drummond play with Kevin Love, you can uh, make them look a lot more appealing to other teams instead of just uh, what we saw last year with Kevin Love, where some games it was just not going for him and his team was losing. They're all struggling. They're all young, and he's just stuck there. So Drummond helps, and uh, I think Kevin Love will probably be somebody that L.A. monitors uh, the Clippers, Lakers, uh, maybe the Kings, I think, should even monitor him, too. I think he'd be someone that could really fit in over there. But uh, out west is where we'll likely probably see him go. If you try to trade love, you're probably going to have to attach like a fucking first-round pick just so somebody will take him. So just for that reason, I'm going Andre Drummond. But at the same time, I'm, I'm trying to get rid of both of them and start over here, especially for Kevin Love. Like... Uh, He's obviously a champion. He had some great years in Cleveland, but since Kyrie and LeBron left, he's just been fucking stranded over there. So uh, <laughs> let's get him out of there. <laughs> yeah, I also think that I think they're. Get, I think it's inevitable that they're both gone because I think they're drafting a big and they have a top five pick this year. So I think if even if they draft like a Okonwu or an Obi Toppin, I think I think that's basically saying okay, Kevin Love, you know you've been great. Now we got to start rolling with the future. And uh, I guess I'll close out. I'll talk about a couple. I'll talk about two other teams. Today's, I guess, more about rebuilding and the people in the basement. I'll talk about the Knicks. Do you think the Knicks are going to try and fast track this rebuild? Because there have been rumors that they're trying to get Chris Paul or Westbrook and Mello and LaMelo Ball. Um, so if you're trying to fast track this rebuild and you're looking at their roster, who the hell are you trading? I'm Because if I'm looking at this team, the only untouchables in my eyes are R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson. I think those are the two guys I wouldn't necessarily touch. But other than that, what are your guys' thoughts on the Knicks potentially fast-tracking this rebuild? I feel like they're always fast-tracking their rebuild, honestly. But um, I, I don't think anyone here is an untouchable other than R.J. Barrett. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like they, they just get unlucky year after year. They're always one of the worst teams, and then they finish with like they'll get Porzingis, and then they'll trade him for nothing, and then they'll get the eighth pick the next year. And so uh, I know Knicks fans don't want to hear it, but unless like fucking Melo and Chris Paul and whoever the hell else signs there, I don't think there's much you can do for this team. You just gotta keep rebuilding and hoping that you win the lottery. Because when I look at this roster, I just I. Last last place in the East, and I'm banking on that. Yeah, I, I know the, they're going to probably fast track, but like the guys that they're going to target are probably like Westbrook and Chris Paul have the giant contract. So I think 
it would have to take like those uh, lottery protected first round picks. Maybe you're not to do a top three protected if you want to get like those kind of guys without having to give up a player like a Randall just yet. And then with Randall, you can package him off with someone else and maybe get another good piece to fit in that core. I'm not trading RJ Barrett. Uh, I know some people are throwing his name around uh, as like a way to get a star over there, but I wouldn't risk it. I think RJ Barrett, like you can trade him now and then in two, three years, you can have a Perzinga situation where he ends up lighting it up wherever he goes. So I'd keep him and uh, just keep building with him and be patient. Was it even worth it though for the Knicks? Like assuming uh, they got a few of those guys, like where would that put them in the, in the standings? And they'd probably lose, like, if they pull, like, a Clippers and give them, like, five first-round picks. I'm like, oh, but we got uh, Russ, West, Westbrook, and now we're fucking 10th in the East. Is that really worth it for them? I, I, I feel like if they were to get a guy like a Westbrook, I feel like they would probably just make the playoffs because that's just how Westbrook is. He's just that dominant. I feel like they would probably scratch in, especially, I think, R.J. Barrett, another guy. He could be... I think he could be like an Ingram, like in terms of like trajectory. Like I could see him just in two years become a superstar. And that's because of the amount of freedom he has in New York. Uh, I, I don't think it like I agree with you, Pinello. I don't think it's worth it, even if you fast track and then you face like a Brooklyn Nets in the second round and you lose in five. Like I don't think it's worth it in the long run. But I think anything to get some sort of talent in Madison Square Garden at this point is the freaking motto because they have not had anybody. I think the last star they had other than Mello was like Patrick Ewing in the eighties. So they like, okay, I don't count the 2015 team. Cause you had Derek Rose, Porzingis, Mello, like you had all those guys there, but they just, they weren't attractive. So I, I guess that's what they're looking at. They're not even looking at success anymore. They're just looking to get an attractive player to fill the seats. And guess what? You can't even fill the seats because we're in a pandemic. So the Knicks are always the Knicks are always going to be losing. That's just how it is. Let's move on. I'm gonna now. I guess I got to end this with the Spurs because it's at that pivot point. It's now Popovich. He's got to look at this team and he's got to say, "Is it really worth it for me to stay here, or should I just retire at this point?" They're awkwardly in an era of either a restart or. Yeah, you know what? Maybe we'll go for it. And, uh, you know, now with DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge potentially getting dealt here, um, you know, they have a couple guys like Deshanti Murray, Lonnie Walker, uh, Derek White. Some of these guys are pretty good, but they're not franchise players. If you're the Spurs, where do you start? Take it, bud. Yeah, from Popovich, I'm uh, going in the Pat Riley uh, kind of. Root, I'm going to retire from coaching, join Brooklyn, uh, maybe as like a vice president, president of basketball operations and go into that role, be around a team that at least has a superstar that can be a little fun that you can build around and you can be in charge of who comes in and who goes. And the GM of the Spurs is going to have to look at okay, DeRozan, probably gone, uh, Rudy Gay. Like you have all these old guys, um, even have like just, I don't know what they're st- uh, trajectory is like what they want to be like they're close to a playoff spot but they're not going to compete I think even in that Western Conference like you're screwed either way there's too many teams above you and they're a lot younger than you their chemistry is a lot better so 
I think they should just go rebuild right now and the next five years, hopefully build something back up where once those teams like the Lakers and Clippers uh, get a little older and uh, there's some spots there where you can maybe jump up and be that top five. Yeah, it's finally time. They've been one of the top teams forever. Um, me and Chris were literally saying last night, DeRozan and Aldridge within like 20 feet of the rim, deadly, but like, that's not where the game's really heading, and that's not where it's been the last few years. And as great as those guys are, it's just not enough, especially in the Western Conference. Uh, they got a lot of nice pieces, but yeah, like it, it might be time for a rebuild here. Yeah, and I think this is where they should maybe start looking and trading up in the draft because the, the selection that they have is not good enough. Like you look at the depth in this draft, and like the top 10 is looking pretty good. But, like, right after that, it's a big drop-off. Like, I feel like there's not going to be a steal at number 13 like we've seen with Hero and Booker and Mitchell in the past. Um, I don't think it's that deep, this draft. But that's where I think the Spurs, I do agree, they have to trade. As soon as they trade the contracts of Aldridge and DeRozan, they have a lot of cap space. But at this point, there's really no point of even maxing out a player because their team is just – they have so many holes to fill. But – um, now I guess I'm going to, I'm going to end it here. Uh, I just got news. It's back to hockey guys. Alex Galchenyuk signed with the Ottawa senators one year, <laughs> one year, $1 million. It seems like Ottawa's getting everybody. What are your thoughts on this? And what the hell does this contract mean for Galchenyuk? He's just got a, He's got to pray to the heavens that he plays a full year and then he puts up some sort of numbers because he's, uh, he's pulling a Taylor Hall. He's one year and he's betting on himself. And, well, for fuck, for his sake, like, there's not a whole lot of competition yet in Ottawa. So if he could, uh, if he could get maybe around 20 goals, 25 assists, something like that, he's, I'm assuming he's in that top six, right? So, um, yeah, if he could have a nice year over there, maybe he could get like a three-year deal elsewhere. But I am stretching. I'm reaching on that because the last few years for Galchenyuk has just been a fucking mess. So for his sake, I hope he could play a full year and get back to the 20-goal mark. Yeah, it's just disappointing. Remember, he got traded for Phil Kessel. They're like, oh, we got the better player now. He's going to be a stud in Pittsburgh. But he struggled. He's finding himself. That's always the excuse with Galchenyuk. Everywhere he goes, he's finding his way. Gets traded again for Zucker. And uh, he's finding himself again. He's struggling. He's working his way in a new team. All the excuses. And now he's uh, stuck and desperate and goes to Ottawa. So... I don't even know where he goes on that depth chart because they have so many guys ahead of him. I think Connor Brown is way ahead of him now. Galchenyuk's going to be a depth piece. And if he's lucky, he can get 20 points and maybe go back to Montreal. But I don't see anything positive out of here. I actually see him going to the minors and by uh, halfway through the season. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I, You know what? With Ottawa, this is a year where it's, I think they're kind of looking at it like, yeah, you know, we're, gonna, we're getting there, but... Um... Let's let's see what we can do this year. Uh, a lot of people are saying that they're better than they're, they're projected to be better than Buffalo. I still don't know about that. I will wait and see what Matt Murray does. But I do like this. I think Galchenya could put up like 40 points for one mil. That's really cheap. Um, Logan Brown hasn't turned out to be the player, at least thankfully for Galchenya in this situation. Because if Logan Brown has panned out, then Galchenya definitely would not be sniffing top six minutes. I think. 
maybe he'll get top six on maybe an inconsistent night. Like you, you'll see Galchenyuk maybe be a second to fourth line center on this team. He's not going to be the first line center. They really like Paj or uh, sorry, they really like um, I, like even Stutzley. I think he could already be better than Galchenyuk. I think he'll be maybe number one or number two on that on that team. And you have you have Col- uh, what's his name there? Is it Colin White? So he's also a center. He's had he's had injury problems. So I like this for Ottawa. Like it, like Alino said, it's a depth move. I don't think he's going to go to the minors unless he really, really um, like something's happened with him. But other than that, from what I've seen of Galchenyuk, I don't think he's a minor league player. I think he's an NHLer. But let's just see what he does in in terms of contributing because this Ottawa team is going to be completely different from last year. So. With that being said, I think the Battle of Ontario is going to be a lot more different, a lot more competitive. It's going to be fun. But with that being said, boys, this was episode 103. We talked a lot about the NBA and NHL trade rumors and drafting. And we also talked about Hell in the Cell. This is us signing out.